0: Good morning, ladies, or good evening, as the case may be. This is strange. You were expecting Patty, and three weeks ago when I agreed to sub for her, I was expecting to see all your lovely faces. And I was definitely not expecting to be video recorded. Instead, in two weeks, our world's been turned upside down. We're separated from friends and loved ones. We go to the grocery store, and we find empty shelves, We're bombarded 24-7 with looming disaster. We no longer have even the illusion of control. I know I can sympathize a little bit more with Naomi this week than I could last week. So let's go to the Lord in prayer before we begin. Dear Father, we come to you needy and confused and maybe even a little afraid. We thank you that you have promised us you will never leave us or forsake us. We thank you that you have preserved your word for us, because in it we find the comfort and strength we need. We pray that you will teach us today through your word and change us. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So last week, in Ruth chapter 1, we left Naomi in a time of famine. It began with a physical famine. There was no bread in Bethlehem. It turned into a social and cultural famine as Elimelech moved his family away from the Promised Land and into the hostile pagan country of Moab. It then turned into a familial famine as Elimelech died, his two sons married foreign women, and they died. Naomi returned to Bethlehem in a spiritual famine. She was bitter and angry at God. But we were left with a glimmer of hope at the end of chapter one. It was the beginning of the barley harvest. And we were left with a question. Yes, it's harvest time, but how will Naomi and Ruth find bread? In the ancient world, times were hard for women. A woman without a family to help her was in trouble. She had few options. If she were in good condition and knew somebody rich, maybe she could find a position as a servant. If not, the only options left to her were begging or prostitution. (laughs) Naomi and Ruth were in dire straits. How would they live? So with that question in mind, we come to Ruth chapter two. Let's read verse one. Now, Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. So one of my commentaries suggested we think of this as a split screen. On one half of the screen, we have Naomi and Ruth. There's no evidence that Naomi ever thought about Boaz or that Ruth ever even knew about Boaz. On the other half of the screen, we have the narrator. The narrator, who knows the whole story, is telling us about this man named Boaz, suggesting to us that maybe Boaz is the answer to the question, how will they live? In fact, the entire chapter is meant to point us to Boaz. Chapter two consists of five conversations—Naomi and Ruth at home, Boaz and his workers, then Boaz and Ruth meet in the field and talk. Then we have Boaz and his workers, and Naomi and Ruth at home. Those are bookends to the central part—Boaz and Ruth meet and talk in the field. But meanwhile, Naomi and Ruth have no idea. Verses 2 and 3. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. Now, as you saw in your homework this week, gleaning was a provision the Lord had made for the poor, for widows, orphans, and sojourners. Farmers were not supposed to harvest all of their crop, but leave some for the poor. Now, we need to remember this was charity. It cost the farmer something, but it was not a handout. It was hard work. It was hot. It was dirty. It was humiliating to glean. But the food was supposed to be there in case anyone wanted to get it. But we also need to remember this was the time of the judges when the people of God had cast God's law behind their backs and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. It was like the wild, wild west in Israel. Laws were not kept, women were not safe. And on top of that, Ruth was a Moabite, an enemy of God's people. That's why Ruth knew she would have to find favor or grace—the word is grace unmerited favor. She would have to find grace to find a place to glean. Now, Ruth had experienced famine in her life just as Naomi had, but her reaction was very different than Naomi's. Naomi stayed home, but Ruth threw herself on God's grace and went out to find food. She happened to come to Boaz Field. In the Hebrew, it's even more dramatic. She chanced to chance on Boaz's field. We say things like this all the time. We say, she's so lucky, or that was such a coincidence, or that hap- what happened next was so random. Ruth chanced to chance on the field of Boaz. If we could see the narrator right now, he'd be winking at us. Because the narrator knows, and we know, that this was not chance at all. This was the providential hand of God directing Ruth To the exact place He wanted her to be—the field of Boaz. There's no such thing as chance or luck. There's no such thing as random. Those are unchristian concepts. Scripture tells us there's a sovereign God who reigns over every inch and every molecule of this universe, a good God who rules over even the plans of our hearts. He rules all things well, for His glory and for our good. He's ruling even when, in the chaos of our lives, we don't see Him. There's a John Piper quote that I love. He says, God is always doing 10,000 things in your life, and you might be aware of three of them. I think even those three things we often miss as they're happening, it's only when we look back over our lives that we can see some of the ways God has been working. Well, Ruth was completely unaware of what God was doing. She was just looking for a place to find food. So let's go back to the text, verse four. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and he said to the reapers, the Lord be with you. And they answered, the Lord bless you. Behold, now that's a word we don't ever use. I love it when we see behold in the Bible. It means literally look at this. It's something important that's coming up. And what are we to look at? We're to look at Boaz. Behold Boaz, a hero has entered the story. Then Boaz had a conversation with his foreman about Ruth, a young woman he didn't know, working in his field. Verses 5-7. through seven. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She's the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. He said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. The foreman saw only a hardworking foreign woman, a Moabite, just in case you didn't get it the first time from Moab. But Boaz saw something completely different. He had heard about Ruth. Remember, all of Bethlehem was buzzing about Ruth and Naomi. So he spoke to her. Let's read verses 8 through 14. This is the heart of chapter 2. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter. Do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you're thirsty go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before, the Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said to him, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. And at mealtime Boaz said to her, Come here and eat some bread, and dip your morsel into the wine. So she sat beside the reapers, and he passed her roasted grain And she ate until she was satisfied and had some left over. So Ruth had set off that morning, humbly looking for grain, for Grace to find some food. And she had indeed found food, but she had found something more than that. She had found Grace personified in the person of Boaz. In his sermon series on Ruth, Dr. Young calls this section, Two Lovers of Grace Standing in a Field Chatting. People who have experienced God's grace can't help but be changed by it. And Ruth and Boaz are two people who show us what it looks like when God's grace enters a life. Now, like any really good author, this author doesn't just tell us about the characters, he shows us the characters through their words and actions. Ruth was humble. She asked permission to glean. She trusted the Lord to provide. She knew that as a foreigner, She would have no expectations. She was hardworking and grateful for the opportunity to work. She was there because she wanted to provide for her mother-in-law, Naomi. She was overwhelmed by Boaz's grace to her. And Boaz, the first words out of Boaz's mouth, the Lord be with you, tells us that he was a man who knew God. He kept the gleaning laws. He was a man who appreciated and knew God's law. He called Ruth daughter, breaking down racial, cultural, and social barriers. He offered Ruth protection from the young men who might take advantage of her. He invited her to drink from the water that the servants had drawn. He seated her at his own table. As I say these words, I'm thinking of the song we sing in church, once your enemy, now seated at your table, thank you, Jesus. Because Boaz is meant to point us To a greater Boaz. He served her from his own food so that she ate until she was satisfied and had some left over. Then we have verse 12, which I think is the focal point of this chapter. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Boaz pronounced a blessing on Ruth because she had come to take refuge under the wings of Yahweh, the God of Israel. I hope you heard Dr. Young Sunday when he preached on Psalm 91, because this is what Boaz is referring to in this blessing. Psalm 91 verse 4 says, He will cover you with his pinions, that is feathers, and under his wings you will find refuge. Boaz could see by Ruth's words and actions that she had indeed found refuge under the wings of Yahweh, the God of Israel under his covenant care for his people. From his words and actions, we also see that Boaz has found refuge under God's wings. God had blessed Boaz, so Boaz saw himself as a conduit to bless other people. Verses 15-17. through When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her and also pull some out from the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. Boaz provided for Ruth above and beyond what was required of him by God's law. He even told his servants to accidentally drop some of the wheat so she could pick it up. She gathered an ephah, That's about 30 pounds of grain. It was abundant provision, over and above what anyone might expect. Probably enough grain for about two weeks' worth of meals for Ruth and Naomi. So let's read 18 through 23. And she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, Where did you glean today? And where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, The man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living and the dead. Naomi also said to her, This man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, Besides, he said to me, "'You shall keep close by my young men "'until they have finished all my harvest.' "'And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, "'It is good, my daughter, "'that you go out with this young woman, "'lest another, in another field you may be assaulted.' "'So she clept, kept close to the young women of Boaz, "'gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvests, "'and she lived with her mother-in-law. "'Naomi was amazed by what Ruth had gleaned that day. "'Enough food for weeks,' and even a doggy bag of cooked grain for dinner. You can imagine her eager questioning of Ruth. When Ruth told her it was Boaz who had been so generous, Naomi was ecstatic and broke into a blessing. Naomi finally saw the kindness of the Lord. God blessed Naomi and Ruth through Boaz. Kindness is the Hebrew word has said, It's an important theme in Ruth. We saw it last week, and we're going to see it again. It's a difficult word to translate into English. You'll see in your Bibles, um, kind, kindness, loving kindness, steadfast love. Most often it's translated mercy. We think of someone who is kind as someone who is nice or polite or thoughtful, but has said as much more than that. Hesed is a characteristic by which God describes himself. When Moses asked to see God's glory, in Exodus 34, it tells us this, The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Steadfast love or loving kindness, that's the Hebrew word for hesed. I love Sinclair Ferguson's definition of his said. He says this, It's not simply love or kindness in the ordinary sense. It means God's deep goodness expressed in His covenant commitment, His absolute loyalty, His obligating of Himself to bring to fruition the blessings He has promised, whatever it may cost Him personally to do that. This is indeed a God under whose wings we may take refuge. And Naomi has started to understand this again. But wait, there's more. Naomi has seen the kindness of the Lord, but she's also seen Boaz. She explains to Ruth that Boaz is a kinsman redeemer, a goel for Naomi and Ruth. In ancient Israel, the goel was the clan's representative. A clan is smaller than a tribe but larger than a family. He was a relative whose duties included caring for the poor. He would buy back land or even people who had been sold into servitude. He was the one responsible for obtaining justice if someone in the family was murdered. Remember, we saw the avenger of blood. It's that word Goel when we saw it back in Joshua. Well, you can almost see the wheels in Naomi's head spinning. Back in verse 1, when the narrator abruptly introduces us to Boaz, The original audience would have immediately thought, Goel, is this the one who's going to redeem Ruth and Naomi? Well, you can see Naomi's thinking the same thing now. As we move through the story, we meet Boaz, the Goel, and we find him to be absolutely lovely, overflowing with the grace and kindness of God. And finally, Naomi remembers Boaz, or Goel. But then chapter 2 ends with a thud, and a question the harvest is over Ruth and Naomi have food to last them for a while but they're still in jeopardy Ruth no longer has a reason to go to Boaz's field and the last words of chapter two are and she lived with her mother-in-law thud we're left thinking but wait what about Boaz is it going to be out of sight out of mind or will he indeed be the one who redeems them Well, stay tuned next week and you'll see more about that. But for now, what applications can we make from Ruth chapter two? We're living in tumultuous and uncertain times, just as Naomi and Ruth were. And we feel as they must feel, must have felt that things are out of control. Actually, life is always fragile and uncertain. Here in Germantown and Collierville, we can usually manage to live as if that was not true. It takes something big, a bad diagnosis, a death, a plague, for us to realize that we're not in control. When the ground gives way beneath us, the only place we can turn, the only thing we have which is unshakable, is God as He reveals Himself in His Word. So there were five truths that stood out to me this week. The first was providence. The providence of God is real. Things are out of control for us, but nothing is ever out of God's control. What is unpredictable and confusing to us, He already knows and has already planned for. He not only created all things, but He rules and sustains all things for His glory and for our good. We need to cling to this truth, whether or not we can see it or understand it. The second thing I saw was grace— We're not designed to live on our own. We're designed to be dependent on the grace of God. We're designed to be grateful for the grace of God. And God's grace, as we saw this week in Ruth's life, his unmerited favor is available and abundant for all. Refuge was the third thing I saw. Just as Ruth had taken shelter under God's wings, he is our place of refuge as well. The only place of refuge in uncertain times. If you didn't hear Dr. Young's Sunday sermon, I'd recommend that you go and listen to it because that's exactly what he talked about this week. The fourth thing I saw was Hesed, the loving kindness of God. Our God is a God of Hesed, a God of deep covenant goodness who will bring about the blessings He's promised. If you have children, you know they can't always understand what you're doing and that what you're doing is for their good. You know it, but they can't see it. In the same way, we don't always see or understand what God is doing, but we can be confident that it is for our good. He's for us. He's not against us. And the fifth thing I saw this week was the kinsman redeemer, the Goel. We have all of these assurances because God has sent us a kinsman redeemer. He has sent us the greater Boaz, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he is the guarantee that all of God's promises will be kept. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for the wonderful and glorious things you've shown us. We thank you for who you are and who you are for us. Father, we believe, but help our unbelief. Help us to trust you in times when we don't know what's going on. Help us to be sure that you're for us and not against us. And help us to just relax into your loving kindness and your goodness toward us. We ask this in the name of our Goel, in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen.